The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Jason Miller. Jason is the executive editor for Federal News Network and you know, it's ju- it's January, so we're going to do our the year that was and the year that may or may not be. So, Jason, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure, Roger. Well, we'll get right into it, and you know, you know, there's lots of good topics to discuss from 22, and even and looking forward to 23. Uh, but the first one, and I know it's um, one of those things. It's almost like you know. It, could be day whatever, uh, you know, 565, uh, or probably even more than that, actually, probably a thousand uh, with no OFPP administrator. You know, going back to two different administrations and over the last decade, it's been a position that, you know, probably has been filled as much as it hasn't been filled in a certain sense. So just your thoughts. You know, it's a big favorite soapbox of mine to start off with. And, and anytime we look at the year ahead and year behind, the question is, of course, Roger, where art thou, OFPP administrator? Why hasn't the White House, why hasn't the administration nominated someone, got them through the process to leave that position, again, unfilled? And this has nothing to do, we've said this every time I've been on your show, has nothing to do with the people in the position today. Leslie Field is acting or probably by now performing the duties of the blah, blah, blah. Uh, Matt Blum, Joni Newhart, all the folks at OPP has nothing to do with their skill sets, what they bring to the community. It has everything to do with needing that really driving force, that, that person at the top who can use that bully pulpit to give that message of the administration to drive acquisition improvements, to draw, to streamline, to improve it. Roger, over the last couple of weeks, I've had the the pleasure of being at several different events where folks have brought up this idea of acquisition innovation. And I know that usually gets a rolled eyed from a lot, a lot of people in the acquisition community, vendors, because they see things that are happening. Uh, oh, they talk about acquisition innovation, but nothing actually happens. But what I've heard from several different acquisition folks is they really are looking to be more innovative. We've talked a lot about the Homeland Security Procurement Innovation Lab. We know NASA is coming up with something called the NASA Acquisition Innovation Lab, or they call it the NAIL. I just heard recently uh, from the uh, folks over at uh, HHS, and they're borrowing a lot of things from, again, the DHS pill as well. They're talking about doing things that are are innovative, uh, different, whether it's soft down selects or whether it's this idea of using the point system to self-grade or just the idea of, you know, reverse industry days. All these things are, are really starting to bubble up and get some institutionalization. But without that OFPP administrator putting out a policy, putting out a recommendation, putting out an alert, whatever they do to drive home these changes, I think you're going to have some folks who are led by senior executives who want to be innovative, who want to change. You're going to have some folks, some agencies that are led by people who are more cautious or more risk adverse, as we commonly hear. As we enter 2023... It's now the third year of this administration without an OFPP administrator. I can go with a first year. Okay, fine. It's not Treasury, DHS, DOD. It's not one of their first top tier. It's probably not even one of their second tier. 
But Roger, we are now into the third, fourth, and fifth tier political appointees, and nothing against those folks, but OPP is definitely not a third, fourth, fifth tier political appointee. They are a top tier, and it's just, I'll just get off my soapbox and say it's just a shame. Um, well, to your point, you know, the OFPP administrator, you know, is the bully pulpit for procurement, right? Um, and sets the direction and sort of the vision, implementing the administration's focus. And there's a lot this administration is utilizing the procurement system for, whether it's sustainability, you know, we get into cybersecurity, you could think like software bill of materials coming perhaps this year, um, CMMC at DOD, but how does it impact civilian agencies? And is there a consistency in the way folks are looking at cybersecurity and then, you know, and applying the NIST standards, um, you know, just the category management, best in class contracting, all those things are sort of out there. I mean, is there a you know strategic overview of where these things and how they all fit together? And, and not to forget, of course, the administration's focus on you know, supporting small businesses, you know, and particularly small disadvantaged businesses and increasing the goals over the next three years, um, you know, through 2025 to what, 15%, I believe, you know, all those things, you know, people can debate the merits of them or not, but, you know, just, you know, perhaps there's a view that that position isn't necessary to implement these things. I don't know. What do you think? I go back to this idea that the reason why we have an OFPP administrator is to be that leader, to be that voice of the community, to take the acquisition workforce, the acquisition community more broadly down a broad but 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 the same path. So I think the the role is definitely necessary. Does it have to be Senate confirmed? Does it have to be a political appointee? I think we can make that argument that maybe it doesn't anymore. Maybe it, that piece of it has outlived its usefulness, and maybe it should be a career official, uh, very similar to you know, maybe uh, the deputy CIO of the government, someone who is more, has some strategy, but but more, uh, you know, kind of the, the operational. At the same time, they also could make it like the federal CIO, where it's not political, where it's a political appointed, but not Senate confirmed. And that would also ease the pain of getting someone in the position. I think part of it is, who wants to go up before Congress and, and, and open their full kimono about their entire life. And they may have put something on Twitter in, in 2012 that now it's embarrassing, or they may have said something in a speech in college that's now embarrassing. And, and for a lot of the folks, you know, Roger, you know, I'll just throw you under the bus. You don't want to be OFPP administrator. And you're one of those people that when people say who's most qualified, Roger Waldron always comes up. Now, we won't talk about your political affiliation, but I'm just saying, generally speaking, you have to ask okay. yourself, do I want to go down this path? Well, uh, thanks, Jason. I, I appreciate the vote of confidence. Um, you know, I, I, you know um, yeah, that's a valid concern, you know, just the whole vetting process. I've been I remember being inside GSA and working on, you know, you know, the briefing books and the question and answers and stuff for folks who were going to go through the process and it is quite a process but um i think we've covered that and you know maybe this year and we'll get the count we'll get what day it is day whatever well, and i'll figure that out um yeah um but anyway let's turn to another subject and i know it's one you've covered a lot in 2022 and that's supply chain risk management you know and there's the federal acquisition security council right um 
just what did what happened in 22 and what do you foresee for 23? Well, I think that's one of the big stories of 2022 when it comes to this idea of OFPP administrator, when it comes to what happened in acquisition. The FASC is, is just a little bit of background in case of folks aren't in, or, or don't remember. Those created by Congress, uh, they're supposed to come out with a set of rules, set of acquisition regulations to deal with supply chain risk management. And it's been very quiet. It's it's We had some strategies back in 2020, 2019. We've had some meetings, but really since over the last year, we haven't heard really word one from the Federal Acquisition Security Council. And I don't think it's because they're not doing work. But again, you don't have an OFPP administrator, sorry to keep going back to that, who's out there speaking about what the FASC is doing. And at the same time, you, you have... For instance, Chris Russia, the federal chief information security officer at OMB, wearing multiple hats. And, and yes, security is important from a, an acquisition perspective, but his day job, if you will, is, is cybersecurity, federal networks, federal systems. So he is just busy. And I think that this, because there's no OFPP administrator knocking on Chris's door going, hey, we got to have our meeting. Hey, we have to get this out. Things slow roll. So I think they've missed an opportunity to address some of these issues. Now, I'll give them the out to say, well, I understand that cybersecurity executive EO maybe add some complexity to some of their rulemaking processes. But Roger, here we are again, 2023, and, and the FASC has been non-existent for the better for more than a year. Yeah, and I guess, you know, I don't know if it's a parallel example, because I think the CMMC rule, you know, as proposed rules, I understand it, it's going to come out in March, but it's been a long, you know, journey to get to the point where we think it's going to come out um, in March. And I think that's kind of a sort of analogous. This is, I, I, I personally think part of the problem, it's a highly complex, you know, and challenging world, cyber world out there and trying to figure out where to go and what to do and understanding the implications for the private sector, as well as for government agencies it's, I think, you know, part of the things I think it's just harder than anybody can imagine. I, I, you know, it, it seems to me, um, getting back to CMMC, you know, just with the proposed, with it potentially be now being a proposed rule, you know, you're talking about implementation down the road in a, you know, another year or so, you know, when originally the goal was to get something, you know, you know, effective it, this summer, probably as an interim rule, um, do you have any thoughts on CMMC as part of this sort of dynamic? You know, I saw Stacey Bosjanic, the person kind of leading this effort for DOD. She posted on Twitter, uh, hope is not dead yet when it comes to an interim rule with requests for comments. So let's not just uh, uh, put it to uh, bed that it's going to yeah. a proposed rule. Yeah, let's not, let's, we're not quite there yet. But, but again, March has been their time frame. That's what they've been talking about is getting up by March. Uh, I think there's a lot of vendors who are still – are acting like uh let me know when it's out right the sky you've been told me the sky's been falling now for for two and a half three years is it falling because you, you haven't really moved that quickly you've you've started over again so i think what cmmc cmmc did over the last couple years and, and was really refocus the vendor community on protecting controlled unclassified information and beyond and i think while we may not have a final regulation we may not have a uh something that you can put into the the far that says you must 100 percent do this it really forced i think a lot of vendors to step back and go okay how are we doing this because we now we have to prepare for this so i think it made 
I, I hope it made things better. I don't know what your members say, if your members say that the same thing, or if they are kind of waiting for Godot. Now, I think to you, that you make a good point. I think one of the things that I've heard from companies is that they are investing in, you know, understanding, you know, the what's going to be required, you know, the NIST requirements, the, you know, and in preparing for that certification. Um, so I think to that effect, there, there may be the desired effect that companies are more focused on it, given the publicity and it's coming, it's coming and that sort of thing. There are challenges and challenges around the assess third party assessment. If there's 21 assessing organizations and there's 70,000 companies that may be level two, uh, that math doesn't really work. But um, so you're talking about a long range implementation. And I guess I think we're up on the time, so I'll leave it there. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion of 2022, the procurement year that was and 2023, the procurement year that may be. My guest today is Jason Miller. He is the executive editor for Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walden. My guest today is Jason Miller. He is the executive editor at Federal News Network, and we're talking about 2022, the year that was, and 2023, the year that may or may not be, and looking in our crystal ball here and there. Um, Jason, one of the big issues from 2022, and I think it continues into this year, was inflation. Um, And I know in particular GSA, and the GSA schedules program, um, GSA policy took a very proactive role in trying to address uh, additional flexibilities in the contracts to address the inflation challenge. Um, you know, what's your perspective on you know what happened last year and where you think things might be going? I think we got to start with the good news, Roger. And the good news is the White House put out the data from from December about the something called the producer price index and. It says the inflation rate for producers fell further and is now the lowest level since March 2021, which is good. Uh, decrease re- reflected in decline in food and energy prices, bringing real breathing room to working families, blah, blah, blah. Food, energy, trade services slowed at their lowest level since March 2021. Happy talk from the White House. When you do a quick search, the inflation rate for December 2022 was about 6.5%. Again, Still high, but way down from what we saw last year this time, which was right around 8%, almost 9%. So these things obviously had that snowball effect into government contracting. You saw with memos, as you mentioned from GSA, we saw memos from the Defense Department. We saw more authority to bring uh, for vendors to bring up their own prices. And also felt pressure on agencies to adjust prices because things cost more. I think generally uh, it's hard for us to tell exactly how this impacted vendors. I think you hear it from your members much more closely. I think a lot of vendors won't tell the media, oh, well, we're not going to bid on that contract because we can't afford to. Or they're not going to tell us, well, we're losing money on that other contract because we bid a firm fixed price at $5 million. And now with prices and everything else, it's costing us $5.5 million. So we don't see it too much from that perspective. We see it more from letters from organizations like yourself and others. We see it more from memos from GSA and and DOD and the like. And I think they've tried to deal with inflation. I'm not sure how well they've dealt with it. And I think that's the frustration that that kind of comes up and that uh, that I think we do here. Right. Well, I can tell you just, you know, you know, talking to companies and, 
especially small businesses who are GSA schedule contractors, it was a real, it has been a real challenge. Um, Companies have uh, canceled items from their contract because, you know, they're locked into a price that, um, you know, the price on the contract is lower than the price they're getting from their suppliers. If they're a distributor, they literally would lose money on the item if they sold it to the federal government or they're, you know, not accepting orders. And, you know, we know, know of thousands, tens of thousands of orders overlap over 2022 that were not filled through the schedules program as a result of companies would essentially lose money on that order. Um, so it has been real and at the pain and, you know, to GSA's credit, they met with, uh, with schedule contractors, they implemented a new policy far, you know, far reaching that streamlined economic price adjustments and they've done training on it. But I would still say the sense is that, and I know you've talked to Irv Keeler, you know, the assistant commissioner at FAS, who's, you know, many of these contracts fall under his purview. Um, there's a sense that and a feeling that the policy folks were aggressive and got out in front. And it's still, you know, trying to get, you know, at the operational level, contracting officers, you know, fully up to speed has been um, a challenge. You're right. I did have a good conversation with Irv actually at the coalition event back in uh, December. He was uh, kind enough to give me a few minutes. And one of the things that was interesting that he told me was GSA did three things really to, to, to address this issue of modifying their schedule contracts to adjust prices around in inflation. He goes, first thing they did was they had to really surge some resources. They did not have enough people or money to really deal with it. And that was painful. That's why I think a lot of your members said it was painful, specifically in the middle part of 2022. He said, now that we've kind of dealt with that backlog, we're doing some other things to address the inflation. One of them is around data, of course. They're really upgrading their what they call their 4P portal, their Price Point Plus portal. And this is a tool for contracting officers to evaluate proposed pricing on scheduled contracts. And I think that's a, another key issue. And they're bringing in some stuff from transactional data reporting as well. Uh, so I think I think that's a, having that data and understanding that data will be helpful for contracting officers. And then I think that the third piece that they're really looking about is, and this is more long-term, Roger, is updating the GSA catalog. And I think the the schedule catalog has been, we'll call it challenged over the last few years. It's in need of an update. Part of the reason why, and we can talk about the commercial platform effort that folks believe they're going to places like Amazon or Fisher Scientific or Overstock.com because they have a better experience with those private sector commercial-based uh, platforms versus what they do with their own GSA Advantage or and, and the catalog itself. And one of the things that Irv told me was about this idea of using a market basket at the item level. And they're starting to work on this, specifically starting with our favorite topic, Roger, office supplies. So there's a lot more, obviously, you, you can find it from my story on federalnewsnetwork.com, shameless plug number one, Roger, if you're keeping score. But uh, I, I think GSA recognized yeah. the challenges, and I think it's good good on them that they are trying to do things to overcome it. Well, it's good too that the first shameless plug came uh, half you know halfway through the show. That's pretty good. I, I expected it much sooner, but um, in any event, I you know it's that interview you did with Irv is uh, is is important reading for those folks who are um, you know GSA schedule contractors or follow the GSA schedules program because there are a lot of there's a lot going on there from the 4P perspective and trying to enhance and upgrade the catalog and GSA Advantage over time. Um, 
you know, it's still getting back to the fundamentals of inflation. One of the things that we'll be watching this year is, you know, will GSA extend the memo that, you know, streamline the EPA process? Um, it's set to expire in March of this year. And um, I think it would send, you know, the government's interest and the industry's interest, you know, working together that that memo be extended, you know, another six months till September, till the end of the fiscal year. Um, because there's lots of companies who, quite frankly, are still behind. Over the course of the year, I would hear from companies, literally their prices were increasing week to week, and they would have mods in the queue for weeks, like six weeks, eight weeks before GSA got to address them. Um, And that that just created a cascading effect in terms of pricing. So I think GSA needs a catch-up period to try to, you know, assist the industrial base in that regard. Um, and, and you bring up the e-commerce platforms, um, you know, and GSA has launched the follow-on procurement. Any thoughts on that from your perspective? One, they had to launch the follow-on procurement because Congress told them to. So kudos to GSA for following what Congress told them. They easily could have, uh, we'll say, slow-rolled it. I'm sure that's nothing you would have done when you were at GSA, Roger. You would never have slow-rolled a, a congressional mandate. Of no. course not. Never. Never. <laughs> but uh, good for them to at least get it out the door and get the process started. They released a full-on solicitation in the summer, yep. and they uh, are now, I'm sure, looking at the uh, options and, and looking at who proposed, and, and probably we'll see an award probably in early uh, part of uh, maybe spring 2023, my guess would be. I haven't heard from GSA about it. One of the things that stands out to me is they talk about the shrinking market. So it used to be $6 billion of the addressable market. Now it's down to about $500 million of the addressable market. And, and that leads me to question, why are they continuing to pursue this at all beyond the fact Congress told them to? I think if my guess would be if the person who wrote this effort uh, is probably no longer, one, in power because the House changed over, and two, the person who wrote it may not even be in Congress anymore given how much changeover we've seen. So the question would be, has GSA gone back to House Armed Services Committee and said, can we just ignore this? Can we go, can go away? Because, again, not, just, not that that $500 million is not a lot of money, but could their time be better spent improving the GSA advantage, improving eBuy? Oh, and Roger, have I mentioned to you how uh, it would be nice to get access to be able to look at eBuy or GSA advantage lately? I'm not sure if I've mentioned that to you as that's another one of my soapboxes, but we'll save that for another time. Because that, that, that didn't change at all in 2022. Now you've mentioned it in 2023, 2022, 2021, 2020. Yes, you've mentioned it to me before. Yes. I, I thought I, I have. I thought I have. Long story short is I, I think it would be interesting to see where GSA goes next, who they award to. I think the, this idea of what platforms e-marketplace versus e-procurement platform versus e-commerce, they said that doesn't matter as much as getting access to, for the industry to government and vice versa. Yeah, I would um, just a couple thoughts on e-commerce. First of all, I think GSA is uh, to be commended for opening it up to, you know, basically any commercial model that fits within the statutory definition. Um, I think that, you know, if you want to see growth in the program over time, I think more, you know, competition will, you know, help all will lift all boats across, you know, e-commerce platforms um, as well as um, 
the other thing I would say is, is that this is a worthwhile effort um, to explore different channels uh, moving forward and where the government procurement should go over time. My last thought, and I was thinking this, and then we'll you know have to close the segment. And my last thought is li- listening to you. That you know the thought just came to me, and I you know and I never quite put it this way. Is you know you want to increase the addressable market. One of the things that everybody needs to think about is the compliance regime. So if you had certain additional compliance requirements in the platforms, and I'm not saying that should be for this one, or maybe it's, but it's something to for industry and government to talk about, you increase the compliance requirements like TA and stuff, you're automatically increasing the addressable market you know, at the end of the day, right? Because there's all kinds of contract vehicles. Anyway, that's just food for thought moving forward. Um, now it's, uh, we're on to a break and we come back, we'll talk about some cloud awards, maybe a little Sibber, that sort of thing. My guest today is Jason Miller. He's the executive editor of Federal News and Network. I'm Roger Walder and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walder, and my guest today is Jason Miller. He's the executive editor of Federal News Network, and we're looking at 2022, the year that was, and 2023, the year that may or may not be. And today we're going to – this segment, excuse me, today and this segment, we'll talk about a little uh, weather, a little cloud, I think. How about that, Jason? And First off, um, and we might even get some weather predictions for 2020, 2023, excuse me, some cloud. Uh, but anyway, the joint warfighter cloud capability contracts were awarded in 2022 to uh, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and Oracle. Um, and uh, you have any thoughts there? This was the saga that no one thought would ever end, and we're very happy, I think, from a uh, coverage perspective that it ended uh, in a good way, too. I think, you know, it's a shame that DOD took so long to come to the realization that a single award, even though it was potentially a temporary single award, meaning they would add more people later, would never fly with industry. And I think it portends good advice for others across the market that DOD struggled with a single award and protests. And, and I think you're seeing very similar struggles and with other government-wide acquisition contracts that are getting a ton of protests, think of NIH CIOSP4. But what I think happened with DOD was they came to the smart realization that the competition is at the task order level. If you're qualified, you're qualified, get you in. And I think that just proves out, once again, the importance of section, for instance, 876 that uh, came from the NDA a couple years ago that GSA is implementing with Oasis Plus, with Alliant 3, with a bunch of other contracts. It also gives you that idea of this timeline that they took to get it in place and all the obstacles they failed to overcome, that they had to restart again, gets you thinking about what the future of contracting has to look like. And I think there's a lot of lessons learned that, again, agencies can take from DOD's experience and not make the same mistake. And unfortunately, I'm not sure how often that happens, Roger. I've been told by some in industry the State Department's Evolve acquisition may be making some of the similar mistakes, uh, not necessarily single award, but similar mistakes around the cutoff line for self-scoring points and, and challenges like that. There's a lack of what feels like, hey, I made this mistake. Here's my mistake. I'm going to explain it to you so you don't make the same one. There's just everyone's in silos. And I think this tags back around, Roger, to our OFPP discussion that I won't get back on my soapbox around. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, I knew that's where this was going. So back to there. But I also wonder, um, too, and we have to see what the implications are for GSA and its um, efforts, you know, over 2022 and even late 2021, acquisition planning and conversation with industry around the Ascend BPA for cloud uh, services as government-wide BPA and uh, I know the coalition gave gave a lot of feedback on that. Um, you know, fundamentally too is one of the big concerns an industry had is where are the requirements on that, right? You know, what, there has to be a business case and a return on investment, and you know that GSA was, I think, having you know challenges articulating what that would be. So, so this I, I don't know what the dynamic and the relationship between the two would be, but I think it's going to be something to to follow in 2023 and see where GSA plans on going. Uh, from here. Um, you know, another area to, I wanted to get your thoughts uh, about is Cibber. Um and, you know, what you saw last year and what you think may happen this year. And I know GSA started playing a, a FedSim folks, GSA, AAS, Acqu- Assistant Acquisition Services, playing a bigger and bigger role on this. First of all, it's great that Congress approved Cibber. They have five more years authorized there was never maybe real fear that it was going to go away, but obviously folks like Senator Rand Paul, who, by the way, Roger, I'm not sure if you heard, is now the ranking member of the Homeland Security Government Affairs Committee in the Senate side and could could kind of play a bigger role in some of these contracting government management type issues. He was obviously put a hold on it. He had some serious concerns about cyber mills, these companies that all they do is get supported by the government and never go to commercialization. So I think hopefully they've worked that out and, and satisfied or alleviated at least some concerns and and a lot of this is about reporting. So obviously that's the good news that happened in 2022. The other side of that, and I think it's good news as well, is it seems like DOD, GSA, and others, NASA as an example, are really focused on bridging the valley of death. It's a great headline for us in the news business. It's also a great thing to talk about when you're on stage at events to say, the valley of death. I think the fact is we're talking about it. They recognize it's a problem. They recognize that. Just using OTAs, other transactional agreements, is not bridging the valley of death like they thought it would. They're not getting all these new entrants, and they have to realize that there's more that the government can do to ensure that when you invest in a a technology or a company, that they're still there three, six, nine months, years later to provide services to DOD and the broader federal community. I think those are two really important things that happened in 2022. I think you're right. This is also a recognition that GSA, with their upcoming contract vehicle around Cibber, will also recognize we have to, again, bridge the valley of death. So these are all really, again, good events that happened over the last year. Um, and I guess the Cibber, too, gets into the an issue that I, I thought it's worth discussing to sort of close out this segment, and that's the industrial base at at large, the defense industrial base and the shrinking. There's been GAO reports, analysis of it. There's been independent studies looking at the defense industrial base. And um, in particular, um, you know, know, what's your take on this? You know, is is the government doing enough to try to, you know, support the industrial base? You know, CIBR is an example of a, you know, congressionally mandated um, effort to do so. you know, are there other things that people are missing in terms of, you know, trying to support the industrial base? The, the big 
question I hear about the industrial base is one, the, sh- the, the M&A activity has been, I think, strong over the last few years. Now, with inflation and the cost of interest rates going up, that may slow down some M&A activity. How much, it's hard to say. But if you're a company that wants to get into a market that you're not in, let, let's say you're not in the intelligence community and you want to start selling to the intelligence community, buying a company that's already in there is your fastest way in. And with the dearth of skill sets around cybersecurity or around data science, those also types of, of, of companies seem to be, you know, very interested in, in, in the M&A activity, you know, companies to buy them. At the same time, I think the concern on the DOD side is, and, and you've seen this in some of the data put out by like uh, CSIS and others that show, oh, there used to be 20 companies that made, you know, helicopters. Now there's two. And that really presses competition. I think that worries DOD, not necessarily around helicopters, but does worry DOD around certain technologies, satellites and the like. And I, I think that they are trying to do things to address it. Uh, how much can they do? It's hard to say because the government is not the biggest buyer anymore. I mean, you saw this with going back to the early part of our conversation, JWCC. It was a billion dollars a year for 10 years. But for Microsoft or Amazon, eh, that that's like, you know, $1,000 for me and you, Roger. <laughs> Good money, but it doesn't really going to change our lives. So I think that there's some push and pull happening. And of course, we got to talk about mid-tier acquisition. That's another big concern. Uh, I think how to address those mid-tier companies uh, is still not solved yet. I know DoD has a mid-tier program. Uh, I'd be interested to know, Roger, I'll, I'll put the my, my reporter cap on. Are you hearing anything about the mid-tier challenge? And, and is the mid-tier acquisition program helping, hurting? Is it getting making any progress that you're hearing? Um, unfortunately, right now, I have, you know, that's not something um, that, you know, the, the members of the coalition would have brought to, to me as well, which, you know, usually obviously, you know, I hear the really good things and the really sort of um, challenging things, you know, so, and if something's at a point that um, it, it hasn't made a ripple or hasn't really addressed something, then I don't hear about it. But what I would say more generally is that, you know, this is, it is a big challenge for mid-tier companies in the federal market. And historically there were, there were studies back and even former Congressman Tom Davis had a jail report quickly done on it. And how do you, first of all, how do you define what's a mid-tier company, right? That's like one thing that's always going to be a challenge. Just like, how do you define, you know, a small business in the NAICS codes? Cause it's, it's about dividing markets and how do you do that? And there's going to be winners and losers. But secondly, you know, the schedules used to be the primary, you know, source of uh, one of the key uh, foundations for income or opportunities for mid-tier companies uh, back in the, you know, late 1990s, early 2000s. And it'd be interesting to do, you know, have GEO take a look at where the schedules fit in for mid-tier companies. Maybe that'll help inform you know, ways to potentially support them uh, across a federal market, um, you know, in other programs and that sort of thing. Just to, and maybe that it will, it will show that schedules aren't, you know, that big channel as much as it used to be. So what does that mean? And what, what does that mean for policymakers and program folks creating programs? Anyway, that just, just some quick thoughts there. And I know we're up on the break when we come back, um, 
I think we'll we'll talk um you know maybe a little bit about um uh the use of section eight seventy six authority um some bid protests uh and then close out the segment uh with a little bit about changes on the hill and and some of the big contracts coming up. My guest today, and it's a lot to cover, but we'll see what we can do, Jason. We'll do a, a lightning round. Uh, my guest today is Jason Miller. He's the executive editor for Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Jason Miller. He's the executive editor at Federal News Network. And uh, we're talking about uh, 2022, the year that was, and 2023, uh, the year that will be for procurement. Um, and Jason, just a quick uh, rundown. What's, you know, with the new Congress, what are some of the key things you're hearing, potential changes, new new management, some of the committees, or leading man- management, majority management on the House side? One of the big things we expect is obviously more aggressive oversight from the House committees. Not surprising, Republicans took over. You have a Democrat White House. That's just going to automatically cause some uh, back and forth and, and, and lots of, of tension. One of the things we're looking at specifically is changes to the newly renamed House Oversight and Accountability Committee, formerly House Oversight and Reform Committee, formerly House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. I think there's been maybe a half a dozen names over the last uh, couple of years of that committee. We've heard a rumor, and, and I'll just say it's a rumor, Roger, so we'll have to wait to see if it happens, that they may have a subcommittee that will focus on IT and acquisition. If they do that, that would be really interesting. We've had IT subcommittees in the past. I'm not sure we've ever had one focused on IT and acquisition. And if that happens, I think you'll get a lot more uh, focus on things such as, again, I'll, I'll guess here, the use of OTAs and how that's impacting government. I think you'll probably get some some IT modernization, technology modernization fund discussions and hearings and letters. Uh, so I'll, I'll be interested to see how that comes together. On the other side of the hill over the Senate, obviously Democrats remain in control. What will be interesting is is what the Homeland Security Governmental Affairs Committee, led by Senator Gary Peters from uh, Michigan, does. He got reelected, so he's in for six more years. That gives him some, if you will, some runway to really focus on government management and these types of issues. And again, we'll be interesting to see what comes up. And with Rand Paul as the ranking member, what kind of interest will he have in government management? Yes. We know he's about smaller government. He's not a big fan. As we talked about Cibber in the last segment, he was a main uh, person who was against re- reauthorizing Cibber without some assurances. So I think those are the two big committees that, that we watch when it comes to uh, acquisition and technology. Yeah, we'll be wa- definitely be watching those committees this year, and it'll be, it'll be an interesting um, conversation. I, I, you know, across all the stakeholders, uh, that's safe to say. So let's talk about some of the big contracts um, that are coming out, and a you know, Section Eight Seventy Six as part of these big contract vehicles seems to be the default, and that becoming the default approach in terms of not evaluating, you know, price at the contract level. Um, you know, we got Oasis Plus, Alliant 3, NASA Soup 6 coming, just in, in the ongoing Polaris and on uh, COSP4. Just, you know, quick take on those. It's going to be a fun year. I'll start there. Maybe not if you're a contractor bidding on all of these, but from a person who's covering the ins and outs and the, the, the fits and starts, a lot to talk about. 
And and you also uh, have to bring up the other ones. Uh, You have State Department Evolve, another big $8 billion IT contract. And you have the uh, VA just released the draft solicitation for their T21 Next Generation 2 contract, which is, again, another $60 billion ceiling, uh, multiple award contract for IT services that VA uses a ton of. So I think there's a lot going on. And it's interesting how it's all coming together in 2023 and into 2024. And of course, we have Soup 6, uh, probably scheduled for 2024, so I know NASA will be doing a lot of work on that. There's there's going to be a lot of interest in, it seems like, how, again, they, the, the agencies learn from each other, not to make the same mistakes, not to set their self-scoring cut lines too high, too low, to cut too many people out, that causes protests, how they deal with... Uh, joint ventures and you know uh, mentor protege challenges like NIH had with CIOSP4. So those are all the things I think we're going to watch. And of course, I know Roger with Oasis Plus. There's a lot of concern of of whether or not they're just creating a new schedule contract instead of a schedule contract. So I think those will be some of the questions where we will definitely be paying close attention to. Uh, is there of all the contracts that we've named and many others that we've may have forgotten about? What, what are you most excited about when it comes to uh, 2023, whether it's those contracts or, or something else? Uh, you know, it's like, how do you pick between your children? I don't, you know, so I guess um, I'm excited about all of, I mean, Oasis plus, uh, you know, building on Oasis, a hugely successful contract vehicle, uh, you know, and it's been a scope has been expanded, hence the plus. You know, they do have an enterprise domain, which I think, is, you know, is akin to the original Oasis sort of concept. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Alliance 3, of course. Again, Alliance is a hugely successful contract. Um, you know, and then NASA Soup. And NASA Soup 6, you know, we're looking, NASA's looking to expanding the scope of IT services. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how, you know, much more direct competition there will will be between NASA, GSA, and, you know, competition's not a bad thing, and I think it improves and lifts all boats. Um, and then lastly, just, you know, watching to see how the protest world shake, shakes out over the year. You know, protests were down last year, but at the same time for key contract vehicles like COSP4, you know, lots and lots of protests because it's seen as a market changer for companies, um, and if, and you know, you win that you're in a channel for a long period of time. So watching all those things and, um, looking forward to, you know, talking to you about 2023, the year that was and 2024, the year that will be, you know, about this time next year, uh, Jason, thanks so much for being on the show. Roger, it's always a pleasure. I'm sure we will talk more uh, for a mid-year update or, or however, whenever oh, else we course, get together, there's always yes. plenty to talk about. Yes, uh, I want to thank my guest today, Jason Miller. He's the executive editor for Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.